There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode number 35. In this episode, I'll go through some of the financial aspects of traveling, particularly traveling if you're traveling for conferences or vacations by yourself, with friends, family, etc. Now, before we proceed, as you know, the motto and the premise of this podcast channel is to enable some education about personal finance concepts and principles so that you can apply them in your own life. Australians love to travel. And the concept of having a great experience rather than having multiple positions is definitely catching on. Now, if you've been listening to this financial podcast um, episodes that I've done, you know the fundamentals. The fundamentals is based around the concept of paying yourself first and take 20% of your after-tax income and put it away and consistently invest it, usually in a well-diversified stock portfolio. And then you repeat the steps one and two, that is pay yourself first and consistently invest. And then when you get the dividends, you always reinvest the dividends. You know, I was driving home today and it was peak hour traffic and I was actually driving, uh, I live in Melbourne in Australia and there's a freeway here called the Eastern Freeway, which is run reasonably well, but it was peak hour traffic. And what I noticed was something very interesting. I was traveling on the right hand lane, uh, which is generally, you know, we drive on the left hand side of the road in Australia for your North American listeners. But I was driving on the right-hand lane, which is typically the faster lane, but it was quite slow. There was stop-and-go traffic. Then I switched over to the left lane and then back to the right lane and switched over to the left lane. And it turns out that there was another guy who was traveling on the same freeway in his blue Toyota Camry, and he just stuck to one lane. And guess what? After all that swapping and changing over lanes that I've done, because I was slightly in a hurry, we kind of ended up um, at the same place as he was exiting Springwell Road and I had to go through um, the tunnel. So then at that point, I realized that's kind of like investing. You know, buying and selling shares is like constantly changing lanes in the expressway, trying to find the quickest way out. Whereas staying in the one lane and traveling consistently and going slowly, you kind of end up in the same spot but you probably don't pay all those transactional fees. You don't, have le- you don't have as much stress as possibly I did because I've kept changing lanes. And of course, if you equate that to less fees, then you're probably going to be far ahead in your financial investment life as compared to someone who keeps buying and selling shares, which is equivalent to changing lanes on the freeway. So anyway, a bit of an analogy, probably a poorly explained one, but let's get on this uh, episode about finances and traveling. Now, there are three things that we won't be covering uh, in these uh, in this podcast episode. Number one is personal safety. When you travel, I'm not going to be talking about personal safety because this is a personal finance podcast channel. I'm not going to be talking about passport safety, and certainly I won't be talking about personal information safety. 
So this podcast episode is more to focus on how to manage your finances and how to budget and prepare your finances for traveling. The obvious first question then becomes, how much do you spend for your holidays? Now, this is a little bit like a how long is a piece of string question, but I believe the 20% you save after tax income should never be touched. This means even though it's savings, it's savings for investment, which is for retirement and wealth creation. It's not to blow it on things like cars or houses or traveling or holidays. So you need to come up with a percentage of your income, which you'd be happy to spend on vacations. This is the total cost of the holiday. Not just flights, not just food, not just sightseeing or accommodation. It's everything. And that includes tipping as well, particularly in some countries. You have to go, you need to tip the taxi drivers, the hotel staff, etc., etc. Now, there are various rules for holiday budgeting. Now, I've discussed my basic budget concept, which is basically the 30, 30, 20, 20 rule. So, just to recap what that is, it's 30% of your income goes towards your mortgage, 30% goes towards your expenses, utilities, etc., groceries, 20% goes towards emergency funds or your wants or luxury needs. Um, and 20% goes into your savings, which is basically your pay yourself money. So the rule number one of traveling is, or budgeting for, fi- uh, for, uh, for holidays, is you can't go on vacations until you have emergency funds in order and until you've paid off your consumer debts. This sounds a bit harsh, but it's reality. You may or may not want to buy your own home before a vacation in today's climate. Uh, this might be really extreme, but certainly you can't go on vacations until you have emergency funds and until you've paid off your consumer debts. How much emergency funds? We've talked about this in my previous episodes. Essentially, it is about three to six months, or in my case, I tend to prefer 12 months. Susie Orman says eight months. Now, different people are different, but you can't go on vacations until you have those emergency funds in order and until you've paid off your consumer debts, at least. So, How much of the 20% of the once money, because remember, once you have your emergency funds in place, that emergency 20% then becomes your once money. How much of that can you allocate to your holiday? Remember, that 20% is once of everything. That's not just for vacation. That might be for a new car. That might be for, um, uh, you know, buying new furniture. That might be buying new electronics, etc., etc. So how much... Do you um, uh, sort of allocate that? Well, I feel that um, that really depends on a number of things, okay? First of all, it depends on how many holidays you want per year. Do you want once, twice, or do you want every school term holidays, which is basically four times a year? What type of holidays you want per year? Budget, comfortable, luxury, ultra luxury. Look, there's nothing wrong with lavish holidays provided you can afford it. Who you want to take on your holiday? Is it just yourself? couples, families, children, extended family. If you have kids on holidays, they're going to cost a lot more than if you just travel by yourself. And of course, where you want to go. Some places are much more expensive than others. And what's the purpose of the trip? Is it to relax? Is it to sightsee? Is it theme parks? And usually, of course, with kids, activities, it costs a lot more money. Now, if you budget for 5 to 10% of your after-tax income for holidays per year, it sounds about right. That's generally the principles that I use, 5 to 10% of your after-tax income 
um, goes towards holidays. Now, remember with the 30-30-20-20 budget rule, everything is based on after-tax income. It's not based on gross income because after-tax income, in my view, is reality money. It's money that you get on your hand and it's not you know, based on how much tax you pay, et cetera, how much deductions you have. That all comes as a bonus if you have tax deductions, et cetera. So let's use an example. If you earn about $100,000 per year, which is a lot of money, even in Australia, including 9.5% super, your take-home pay per month becomes around $5,682, assuming you know tax deductions. This makes it easier. I've just made the calculations a lot easier for this purpose. So your 5 to 10% vacation money becomes around $284 to $568 per calendar month. So that works out to be about $3,406 to $6,816. Now, you can tell that 5% of after-tax income is probably not going to be enough for a family of four to go on a nice vacation, but certainly 10% earning 100k a year definitely works out to be a reasonable amount of money. $6,800 is quite a decent amount of money for you to have a decent vacation on a yearly basis. Now remember, if you have four vacations a year, that $6,800 is not per vacation, it's per year. So you've got to divide that by four. So you could have a pretty comfortable vacation uh, on that money every year, even if you want to go overseas, particularly to some of the Southeast countries, uh, sorry, Southeast Asian countries, if you wished. You may need a little bit of extra if you have kids, but this is a generally a good rule to follow that I find. Notice how the percentages, uh, again, just to reiterate, is after-tax income, not gross income. This is reality money, so it makes sense to use it to calculate the 30-30-20-20 budget. Rule number two, your vacation should not affect what you're doing for saving or investing. That is your 20% after-tax income that you've used to pay yourself first is your money. That is not vacation money, okay? So you must continue to keep all your expenses as you would normally do and make sure you consistently save that 20% or up to 20% and invest it. So you need to plan ahead for this to occur. If you want, you could cut back on luxuries like Netflix or Stan or Lattes Daily and use that money for the vacation, but I wouldn't recommend stopping things like the internet or mobile phone subscription just to save some few extra bucks here and there. This creates a false economy and I don't think it's worth it and I don't think it's sustainable. Rule number three, never borrow money to go on a vacation. Borrowing money to go on a holiday, it's just a dumb idea. Consumer debt is dumb. No matter what you do with it, buying a car, buying furniture, buying electronics, going on vacation, if you're borrowing consumer uh, debt money to go on vacations or doing any of those things, it's just stupid. Borrowing on your home loan, that is equity, to go on a holiday you can't afford is also dumb. Now, these are very strong points, I know. Some of you may disagree with this, but essentially, borrowing money to go on vacation is generally not a great strategy. In fact, just don't borrow money. Now, you've saved up some money, so which is your budget. So in this case, let's say 10%, uh, which is $6,800. Now what? Using our example above for 100K income, if you set aside 10% of your vacation money, you'll have about $6,816 for the vacation. So do you use all of that money for travel? Well, you do but you have to budget for 10% less and use the additional 10% just in case you run into trouble or about to run out of crash. And let me explain to you, most people overspend on their vacation 
not underspend. So in this example, if you have $6,816 for your vacation money and you're budgeting for it, your actual vacation money is $6,134 with a 10% buffer of $681 as a last result in the event that you overspend or run into a bit of trouble. Now, select your destination, select your travel mode. Are you traveling by air, you're going on a cruise, you're driving, etc., or go by train? and then select your accommodation. Now, you're gonna to have to do your own research on that. I'm not gonna go into the tips and tricks of getting the best deals out there, etc. because that's a bit beyond this podcast episode or this channel. But there are some other things that you need to consider once you've budgeted for your, you know, uh, for your holiday. You always have to get travel insurance. Some credit cards, uh, for example, if you buy with a credit card and pay it off instantly, have built-in travel insurance with them. But be careful, pre-existing conditions are usually not covered and there are exclusions, so always check with them first. Read the product disclosure statement. You can get independent travel insurance, in my view is quite useful, can be expensive but worth it. Um, but some countries cost way more, like my North American colleagues, as their healthcare costs are significantly higher in America than it is down under in other countries. Um, so yeah, you've got you to always check which countries are covered and how much they'll cover for, whether there's excess, etc. Um, a couple of things you might want to consider when considering travel insurance to make sure it's also covered is lost items, medical insurance, asset protection, cancelled travel plans due to weather, delays or unexpected events. I think most insurance providers do not cover for terrorism, but worthwhile checking. Unfortunately, terrorism in today's world is a real concern if you're traveling anywhere in the world. Um, it's very sad and distressing indeed, but certainly you need to think about that. Um, of course, are you going into territories where there's tornadoes all the time or floods uh, all the time or civil unrest or, um, you know, um, other sort of natural disasters like earthquakes, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to consider all that when uh, thinking about travel insurance. And that depends on where you want to go, of course. How are you going to pay for expenses while traveling? So you've got there, you've got the accommodation, you paid for it. Uh, you've got the airline tickets, you're there, you paid for all that. Now, if you're traveling within Australia, of course, paying uh, is very easy. You just use your PayWave or PayPass or Cash or FPOS. We have a lot of options in Australia. Pretty much everywhere you go in Australia, PayWave is ex uh, um, uh, accepted. Uh, but if you're traveling to other countries, you may have to rely on cash. Credit cards like 28 Degrees or Coles MasterCard offer fee-free overseas use of credit cards. But remember, you're still only using the money budgeted for it. And using the credit card as a means for paying for expenses while overseas. Um, so this is not exactly extra money on top of your budget. So for example, if your budget is $6,600, then you can only spend $6,600 on the credit card. The credit card is not extra money. It's just a form of payment method that you're using to pay for the holiday and expenses while you're there. Now, I recently went to Hong Kong and traveled to Malaysia and Singapore with my family, and even having an overseas credit card didn't help in Malaysia and Hong Kong, for example, as often taxis and local shops and small shops don't have FPOS or CC paying facilities, so small retailers accept cash only. This was not really a problem in Singapore, so always have some cash handy. Now, in my view, if you have multiple adults are traveling, so mum and dad, split your cash between the two, keep some in your accommodation, usually a safe is provided in most, uh, you know, most hotels that are reasonably reputed. Uh, but be, but beware, some safes are actually unsafe. You know, they're not actually fixed to the wall, so you need to be careful and check. So be careful where you put your money. 
Travel money cards are very useful. Now, I used it a lot while overseas, along with cash. Uh, there are costs associated with this, especially currency conversions, etc. But um, yeah, so you need to pick a mode of payment. Generally, though, having some cash on you at all times is always worthwhile. But of course, how much and how you how you keep it and how you secure it, and you don't want to flaunt it in some countries. So you've got to be a bit careful about how you handle money while overseas, and you need to have a defined plan on how you're going to pay for expenses while overseas. How are you going to deal with currency exchange? At the end of the day, currency exchanges make money from changing currency. So don't be penny wise and pound foolish, and don't be dumb about it. A lot of people say never exchange money at the airport. I think there's no such thing as never. Currency exchange facilities and airports are often reliable and provide you with good quality cash, but be prepared to pay a premium. They're often the poorest value for money, but the most convenient. What is a good quality cash? Well, it's really important. It's legitimate cash. It's not worn out too much. Some places overseas don't accept worn out money. It happened to me in Malaysia. I went to um, a currency exchange place. Um, the lady handed me um, some money and I noticed that some of the notes were actually ripped. So I actually handed it back and I said, I'm sorry, these notes have uh, tears in them because I know that in some countries and especially in countries like uh, Malaysia and other Southeast Asian countries, having just a small amount of cash that's torn, people are not going to accept it. So uh, compared to in Australia where most places uh, accept slight tears uh, and you can take it to the bank or exchange it or most retailers just just accept it. Now, I've got a couple of $50 notes lying around that's partially toned, and I used one of them today just to buy coffee at uh, at Macca's. So, you know, this, this is not always the case uh, overseas. You need to take account. So when you go to a currency exchange place, make sure you do the following. Count the money yourself. They count it in front of you, but you need to count it yourself. Check for tears. Check, uh, check for wear outs. Um, there's no point changing currency which is not valid or won't be accepted. There are plenty of places nowadays that exchange cash outside of airports. Uh, for example, in Melbourne, most shopping centres have currency exchange places and some of them don't charge fees or commissions. A crown currency probably is the most prominent one here. They make money by buying currencies in wholesale. But think about currency exchange. And again, don't be you know, uh, penny-wise, pound-foolish. Currency exchange is a small amount of your travel expense. Yeah, you might use a few bucks here and there, but you don't need to, you know, you don't have paralysis of the analysis is what I'm trying to say. Have a daily budget. So have a daily budget when you're overseas. So, for example, if you have $2,000 to spend over seven nights, then uh, that's your spending money. I simply divided by seven, so 2,000 divided by seven, uh, seven, knowing that travel days are not expensive. So on the day that you travel, that is your day that you board the flight or, you know, traveling by car for several hours, that's not going to be that expensive, uh, generally speaking, because particularly in planes, the food and all that's provided. Um, but uh, so you might have a little bit left over if you have 2K to spend over seven nights. Now, generally speaking, I carry two days worth of spending money for any given day. That's what I um, sort of budget for. When I sort of say I carry, what I mean is I budget for two days worth of spending money. I don't actually physically carry that much cash. And um, one day for each adult. So, you know, me and my wife, she has some money. I have some money. Uh, and one of us use our money uh, as the spending money. That's our spending money for the day. We don't exceed uh, the daily budget whenever possible. And if we do, some days are more expensive than others, then we just subtract it from the next day's budget. So to give you an example, in Singapore, we went to Universal Studios. Uh, I've got a nine-year-old. She loves Universal Studios. And um, uh, we did spend a little bit more than what we had actually budgeted for for that day. 
including tickets, etc. Um, but, you know, um, that's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean overall we spent more. It's just for that day we spent a bit more. So we, you know, took it easy the next day. So you need to be disciplined about it. Traveling can be very impulsive and be very expensive. Now, in our recent travels, it was about four weeks in total. Uh, we came under budget uh, by about 800 Australian dollars. That's not bad for four weeks budgeting. Uh, so what did I do after that? Um, brought the money back to Australia, and guess what I did? Invested it straight away. Uh, of course, I gave some uh, some of that cash uh, to my nine-year-old that uh, that uh, sort of wanted to have some cash, and she's thinking about saving and investing at the moment. Uh, point number five, keep in touch with your usual finances, but do it securely. It's important that your bills back home are still getting paid, while you're on vacation. This means the usual budget is not affected by your travel plans. Remember, you've already paid yourself the 20% money. So while you're on vacation, if you get paid, you still take 20% of your after-tax income and put it away and invest it. And lastly, here are some last-minute tips if you're booking holidays that may come in handy. Being flexible with dates of departures is a goldmine. In my experience, you can knock off several hundred dollars when it comes to airline tickets, particularly in business or first class or accommodation costs, if you're a little bit flexible with your dates of departure. Budget airlines, this depends on your travel style, but with availability of budget airlines these days, your airline costs are significantly reduced. That's why I say for a family of four, you can have a pretty good overseas holiday for a budget of about six or $7,000, uh, you know, particularly five to seven nights, including airfares and accommodation. Frequent flyer miles, you can upgrade seats to business or first for a fraction of the cost. You can buy points online, but be very, very careful because some airlines will cancel your ticket if they find out you bought frequent flyer points online through wholesale agents. It's against some airlines company policy. So be very, very careful when you do that. But some airlines do allow it, so you need to shop around and do some research for that. Subscribe to travel websites. They email you last-minute deals. Not ideal for families, not ideal for people like me because I like to plan my holidays 12 months in advance. I'm already looking at 2020, late 2020 holidays at the moment. But good for couples of great flexibility in their travel plans. Uh, flying midweek. Now, in most likely the cheapest, uh, business travelers fly Monday to Friday. Leisure travellers fly uh, Friday and Saturday. Avoid school holidays, of course. Um, so if you fly midweek or on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you might find the business class seats tend to be uh, a little bit cheaper uh, compared to flying on a Monday or flying back on a Friday, for example. Of course, road trips are awesome. They're fantastic. They're great. Uh, we went on a road trip in December 2018 to Adelaide for uh, seven days to uh, uh, from Melbourne. It was a, it was a fantastic trip. It's often cheaper per holiday maker. So if you have a seven seater car and want to travel to Sydney from Melbourne, that's substantially cheaper by car than by air. Not to mention you avoid car rental at the destination site. Um, so consider also package deals. Often booking a holiday do-it-yourself style can be more expensive. Meals, entertainment, tipping, internal travel expenses, buses, tours, taxis, etc. If you buy packages, uh, which seems to be the go these days, a lot of people uh, try and go to their you know flight centre or their travel agent and say, just give me a package, I'll pay for it all today. It works out to be a lot cheaper. And accommodation-wise, you might find Sunday night accommodation is likely to be the cheapest. Why? Because again, business travellers check out on Friday, leisure travellers usually check out uh, on Sunday morning, which makes Sunday nights are often empty in most accommodations and hotels may give substantial discounts. So that's about it. So let's summarise this podcast. Uh, remember, it's okay to splurge uh, on a holiday that you've budgeted for. It's completely fine to have an ultra luxury holiday. Now, 
our three to four week holiday that we had wasn't cheap. We only stayed in five star hotels, resorts, whatever it was. It cost a lot of money, but we've budgeted for it and we come under budget at the end of the four weeks. So if you've got the money, you've budgeted for it, you've paid yourself first already, it's completely acceptable to spend a little bit of extra money to have a little bit of extra fun. In summary, point one, budget for your travels, including the 10% extra buffer, and it depends on the purpose of the trip, of course. I find that 5 to 10% of your total after-tax income seems a reasonable amount for your yearly expenses for vacations. Make sure your vacation savings do not affect your 20% pay yourself money. That's point number two. Point number three is never have a vacation on debt. That is the dumbest thing you could do. Point number four is always have travel insurance if traveling overseas. Uh, Point number five is think about how you'll handle money while overseas, cards versus cash. Um, Number six, point number six, have a daily maximum budget and think about currency exchange. And point number seven, while on vacation, keep in touch with your personal finances back home. Make sure that your personal finances back home are not affected. And whatever you do, don't spend and overspend overseas because remember, every year you're going to have a vacation. So every year you're not going to be spending over and over and over your budget. You need to be disciplined when it comes down to going overseas or going on vacations. And you need to be disciplined to make sure that you stick with your budget. Then again, you need to be disciplined in general anyway. So thanks everyone for listening. This is episode 35, Travel and Personal Finance. Um, And uh, as always, pay yourself first, save that 20% after tax income and put it away and do not ever touch it. Invest it, reinvest the dividends and repeat the steps again and again and again. And the chances are, by the time that you retire, you'll have a lot more money than you're ever going to need. Till next time, this is Dev Riker Personal Finance, episode 35. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 